0: Welcome back, everybody, to the root of the start
1: that one over. Hit the mark button. Fruit, the the fruit, fruit, fruit of the loom. Fruit of wound the loom podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're in our skivvies here. I'm leaving.
0: <laughs> See, you're in there by yourself. You you got your chair. Brad and I are right next yeah, to each other. Uh, I have shorts on, I promise. All right, here we go. Uh, <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to the Rooted in Logos podcast, episode number 113. My name is Brad, joined, as always, by Austin Loop. Austin, how's it going?
2: I'm doing very well. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm here.
0: I'm here. Yeah, well, we're excited to start a new little series on Reformed Theology versus... Not versus, but, like, we're going to talk about Reformed Theology for the next episode or two, yeah. and then we're going to talk about the other side, which... Armenian. Armenian theology. I don't know. It's hard for me to use that term because I don't... It depends on who you talk to
2: on that side.
0: They (laughs) differentiate. But 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 we're going to discuss today uh, with Pastor Joseph Spurgeon uh, the Reformed theology side of of this uh, argument or or discussion, debate, whatever. Just a real quick disclaimer. Our goal here is to have someone smarter than us. (laughs) Amen. uh, Discuss... (laughs) <laughs> this theology uh you can't see pastor spurgeon because we don't record video but he's on zoom with us and he made a face at that so that was that was good but uh to discuss it and austin and i are gonna kind of just have some ask some questions and generalized discussion about it and not really give our thoughts too much in these episodes we might do that later um But we just want to have someone on that that knows this this doctrine and this theology really well and and can explain it and articulate it using Scripture, not using emotion. uh, Mm. My biggest uh, pet peeve in this discussion is how quickly emotions get involved and, and how quickly we lose Scripture and we just go straight to how it makes us feel. I don't like that. And it really bothers yeah. me, and that's why I've avoided this conversation a lot throughout my, my years of, of ministry and years of just discussing theology. It's a conversation I avoid because I don't want people mad at me, and I don't get mad at people. And so it's <laughs> you know I, it, 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 it's a tough debate and a tough mm-hmm. topic, but it's, it's one of those deeper, meatier, heftier issues that yes. I think it's great to chew on and, and, and to use Scripture uh, that being the key, use scripture to back up what you believe. So, uh, with that, Austin, uh, introduce our guest again, and and we'll uh, we'll get rolling. Yes. So, Pastor Joseph Spurgeon,
2: welcome back. Uh, he was on last week. We were able to dive in a little bit to his. Uh, can you call them escapades? Sure. Sure. <laughs> Adventures. <laughs> Adventures. Adventures over in Israel in in speaking the truth and preaching the gospel to. The Jews over there. Um, very, very awesome. If you guys didn't listen to that, go back and listen to that. Uh, like Brad said this week, we, I, I, I guess, interview style with Pastor Spurgeon. We've got questions for him, uh, common questions that are asked to the people who, I'm wondering how, how to announce that, uh, the people who believe in scripture. Yeah, that, that sounds biased, but anyway... <laughs> For, for those of us who believe in the biblical doctrines of election, predestination, and the, the reformed way of thinking. Um, so, so we got some of the questions we're going to kind of present to him, uh, allow him to explain it, like Brad said, better than we, we have and better than we do. And then, again, it is to open up conversation. How can we, as brothers and sisters in Christ... Have a civil conversation, but but yet still be able to come at each other saying, I don't think you're right. And the other to say, I don't think you're right either. And and, and to be able to argue, to be able to, to butt heads, as scripture says, sharpening iron. You, you can't sharpen iron unless you have more iron scraping against it, shaving pieces off. But then at the end of that conversation, be able to say... Hey, I'm hungry. You want to go get some Taco Bell? Yeah, let's do it. And then switch gears and then and talk about something else. Um, so so that's what we're doing. We're 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 opening the conversation. Uh, so I guess I will start with uh,
0: a well, couple let's, questions. Uh, let's start with definitions, right? Is that is that where you were heading? Yes, definitely. Yeah, so let's yeah, start that's with what I was doing with for sure. definitions of of <laughs> you know. You almost could do use the tulip. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, acronym. The total depravity. Uh, was it unlimited atonement? No, limited atonement. Unconditional grace. <laughs> Unconditional election. Election. Thank you. Good night. I am rusty. I'm, limited I even atonement. Prepared <laughs>
1: irresistible grace and perseverance <laughs> of the saints. There, there we go. There it is. I got nervous. <laughs> well, let me. Let me. Uh, can I jump in real quick? Absolutely. Yes. I, I want to. We're going to define things, but can I? Can we start a little bit b- before those? Uh, those terms.
2: Of yes, yeah. please.
1: Let's start with God. Okay. This is very key in all of this. Who is God? What has he done? What's he made us for? What? Why do we exist? These are questions I think that are foundational to understanding anything in Scripture, and especially uh, uh, predestination. Because there are questions that people have from there, usually somewhat accusations, that uh, I think have an understanding of who God is. So who's God? Well, maybe uh, a way to get at that, I might say, is why are we created? And uh, there's this, uh, I'm I'm going to probably refer to this quite a bit just because it's a helpful way of thinking of things. There's a thing called the Westminster Confession of Faith Hmm. and there's Westminster Catechism. So you guys maybe have shared with your listeners before one of these catechism questions. What is the chief end of man? So uh, what's the chief end of man?
2: Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever.
1: That's right. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. By chief end, we mean like the primary thing, what God made us for. And really, what God made everything for was what? His glory. Soli Deo Gloria. Yeah. So we're going to talk about one of the five solas. I think we need to start there. God, I don't want to say he exists for his glory, but God's chief aim, his chief goal in everything is his glory. Mm. And another way that we could say this, is that God delights in showcasing His glory? So, uh, when we say that we're made to glorify God, we don't mean that God we have something and God needs it. Right? We've got this little bit of glory, and then God's got it, and he he needs us to give this to Him, and that's why He's all about His glory. Like He He's lacking something, and so He creates all this stuff because He's lacking something. No, that's not what I'm saying. When I say that, what I'm saying is we are created to be a showcase in a sense of God's glory, to showcase who he is, all of his perfections, his attributes, that he's holy, that he's just, that he's loving, that he's infinite and wise. And uh, um, I mean, you can go on and on And the creation is created for that purpose, and that helps us to get at, once we have that in mind, I think we can get at why why are things predestined and why all these other things, because we realize we're made for God's glory, and that means everybody, everything was made to be a showcase of God's glory. And... I think right out of the gate I want to say about that is that is it's not, again, that God needs anything, nor is it God being selfish. It's just simply that God worships God. Hmm. And that sounds crazy, I think, for us to hear. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, it, All right. But, if but let me ask you this. If God worshiped something else. He would not what be would, God. He would not be God. What yeah. would something else be? God. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So God's chief aim is for His own glory, and and when we glorify God, I think uh, um, we get to enjoy Him in that process. But everything that God makes will showcase who He is in His glory. The creation is a stage, if you will, of of celebrating God. Everything is to point towards God. It's not about us. It's not about man. And even as we think about our salvation and all these things, we have to keep in mind that it's all for the glory of God, and that means when God created, and He He created the devil. Hmm. Why?
2: That's a good question. It's actually one one I believe we had for you. <laughs>
1: for, I mean, his I mean, for his glory, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah to be a showcase of his glory, not that the devil would add to him, but that in God's defeat of the devil and judgment of the devil and condemnation of the devil and his evil, God would be glorified and his justice would be showcased and along with his justice, his vengeance, his anger, his wrath would be poured out upon the devil. And, And so... I mean, that's the answer to that question. I think I remember seeing you We're going to ask that. Maybe I jumped the gun. That's okay. no, oh, you're good. <laughs> um, what I'm trying to get at here, and I think this is so vital, when we think of everything else, and when you've got questions about any of this, get back to this. Why do we exist? Why did God create all things? It's for His glory. Hmm. It's for His glory. And um, so I just want to lay that as our foundation and as we build upon that um, with the answering your questions, the other things, uh, I think that'll be very helpful for us. So from there, I'll let you go back to where you were. So um, what's next?
0: <laughs> yeah, so let's uh, let's define just these terms very briefly and and, and uh, quickly here. Um, total depravity. What When you think of, you know, the reformed theology or as other, you know, other people say in a term that I'm not a huge fan of at this point in my life, but Calvinism, you think of tulip. And so the T total depravity, what, what is that? What does that mean? Cause I think that is kind of the groundwork for this whole theology is this mm-hmm. idea of total depravity.
1: Yes. So, uh, now we're, we're, we're God's glory is still in the background of this thing, is, but now we're moving into what about people? And we're getting into really the, the issue of how to be, about salvation and total depravity is not that everyone is as completely sinful as they possibly could be. Right, right, they're just so wicked. Uh, I mean, I um, thank God that's not the case, actually. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Every, every once in a while, we get a glimpse of maybe what that might look like with like a total psychopath or something like that. But even they are, you know, even Hitler did good things every once in a while. Yeah. But what it is what this means, total depravity, is this: when Adam sinned his sin changed the very nature of everything, and that before um Adam sinned, everything was created good and um and yet his sin cast the whole world under a curse because God's promise was you you uh. Obey my commands, and you merit eternal life. You you get to live forever. Uh, you sin, you'll die. Right? You you eat of that tree, and you will die. When he did that, it cast death. It brought death into the world, and every man dies because of that. Scripture says, "In Adam we all die." Right? Uh, um, one man's sin brought death, mm-hmm. and not just death in the sense of like they're going to put us in the ground. That but it brought spiritual death in all of us that we are born with a sinful nature that chooses to sin and um, wants to sin. We might say that it's enslaved to sin. And yet it's, the, it's not the it's enslavement of wanting to be enslaved. Our, our very will wants to where we have the key in our pocket in one sense. We want to be enslaved to sin. So by total depravity, we simply mean this every person, part of a person is given over to sinfulness is impacted by sin and that means that our uh, our heart wants to sin our will our will loves to sin or as ephesians 2 says we are by nature children of wrath like we are hmm. dead in our sins that's the death that I was talking about passed on from adam so every person in their human nature, inherited from Adam, is enslaved to sin. They will not, cannot actually please God uh, because they won't do it. And it's not as if they are robots. This is very important. They just don't want to obey God. Their hearts cannot want to. Their will is enslaved to sin. Um Dead, as Ephesians 2 says, dead in your sins and trespasses. Uh, it's so, I think it's so vital to get this too, because if you don't get this, you get all kinds of, I think, errors that come later in your theology.
2: Hmm.
1: But you're totally depraved. Doesn't mean you're as wicked as you possibly could be. It just means that every aspect, your mental capacities, your physical aspect, your spiritual, your heart, your will. Like you when Jesus said, love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, all these things are impacted by sin. And uh, apart from the grace of God, they will continue to sin and want to. They will want to sin. I always like to say that their want to wants to sin. Mm.
2: Yeah. Well, and and that question also rolls into the the phrase original sin, and uh, a lot of times it's been explained as uh, as you're saying, Pastor Spurgeon, as um, through Scripture, it's a feast. The Lord is presenting a feast, and it's it's not so much the the fact of and correct me if I'm wrong that God is putting up barriers, saying I don't want you, and I don't want you, and I don't want you, but it's that they're saying. I don't want to come.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I uh, I can think of my own life before God coming into my life that I, I did not want to come to Him. He chased me down. Um, uh, going back to the, I love how the Westminster Confession of Faith talks about this. It says, "Man by his fall into a state of sin has wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation." So as a natural man being altogether adverse from that good and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself hereunto. And this is the key word. He's not able to because he's dead. He's depraved in this sense. And, and you know, there's a lot of scripture to back that up, right? Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 12, they are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Uh, again, Ephesians 2, 5, even when you were dead in your sins. Colossians 2, 13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And so, uh and then Jesus says this regarding this himself. He says, "No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him. So no one can come on their own. No man can come into me." Um, which that leads right
0: into unconditional election, right? The, the next, the next part of this, and, and no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. So what? Yeah. What is the again, the explanation of unconditional election, which I think is where things start to go a little sideways for people uh, when they hear this phrase.
1: Well, let's start with what's unconditional mean. It means there's no condition in man on which God looks at man and says, I'm going to save that man. So, uh, I want to get back to what I said, kind of, again, putting the sure that we have that glory of God. He created us for that, and that means He's going to get the glory in our salvation. And so, uh, unconditional election means that God before time began chose to save people from their sins, chose to save certain people, specific people from their sin. Uh, um, this is his eternal decree and uh, he predestined another way to say that in those to everlasting life. And, you know um, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is probably one of the best books, just looking at this, speaks of he's having predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Uh, um, So unconditional election means no condition in us. It's not that God looked down the quarter of time, that he looked into the future and he saw, hey, Joseph will choose me. And so I'm going to choose to save him. Uh, th- that gets back into what I said about being created for God's glory. We're all created for God's glory. We don't add anything to Him. If it were that God were to look down into through history and see that I chose Him, I just added something to God. Hmm. Uh, it made God's decisions what He would do in salvation dependent not upon his own holiness, his own will, but upon the creature. It makes God dependent upon man. God is not dependent upon man. Everything exists for his glory. Everything exists from him. There's nothing that we, the Bible says, like, we, we bring nothing to him, right? Like, everything we have comes from him. Uh, what would make me think, then, that I can add to that But that's what happens when we think and we look, well, God looked down a quarter of time and he saw there'd be people that chose him. And so then he chose them. That makes his choosing, that makes his knowledge dependent upon something in man and makes God dependent upon man. God is dependent upon no one or nothing. He has everything that he could ever need, which means he has all knowledge, all wisdom, independent of what we would do. But uh, And so when we say unconditional, God chose to save his people not based upon anything in them. Like we are saved by grace through faith alone, right? Not of works so that no man may boast. Even the faith we have is a gift from God. We'll, We'll get to that in just a second. But so every man does not choose to save God. God chooses to save men. He chooses to save some men the our confession says that he he passes over others uh, uh um not choosing to save them uh, uh uh i almost wanted to read that to you but i'm, I'm i don't want to hold us up here well you, but, you uh, see
0: you see th- this idea of election all throughout scripture i mean just from from the beginning right and, and just you can even go to to noah where he chose to save Noah and Noah's family, he chose Abraham to be the you know the father of many nations. He chose David to continue the lineage of Christ, all the way to Christ, and and the entirety of Scripture is God making these choices to bring about His redemption, which is uh, to bring about mankind's redemption, which is for what His glory and and for His yep. glory alone. So uh, we are. That, that to, uh, I'm, I'm preaching to through my first.
1: Sorry, I'm preaching through 1 Samuel, and uh, this Sunday we were talking about they wanted a king, and so God is going to appoint them a king. And you see this story of Saul, the first king, that God chose to be king, and all throughout it, every step of the way, God is working, and Saul has nothing to do with it, Mm. right? God chose Saul. Saul's like trying to run from it a little bit. And you've got this, it's just a crazy account of like, these donkeys get lost. And then uh, was, I called them coincidences as I was preaching. <laughs> yeah. There were so many coincidences that you're like, these aren't coincidences, are they? Because there's no such thing. Right. God, uh, God has orchestrated every one of it to choose Saul for that position. And um, this is how he works in our lives. Those that know him and love him, God chose us for the foundations of the world even knowing that we were sinners, right? When we were still sinners, what? Christ Christ died died for for us. us. Christ died for us. Oh, that's before I could ever even have faith, before I ever believed God acted on my behalf and has nothing to do in me. Because, listen, I know my heart. If any Christian actually knows their heart, and I don't know that we know it fully, God knows our heart better than we do, but I know my heart enough to know that I'm a very, very wicked man, Mm. I have wicked thoughts. I have wicked things. I'm lazy. I, I disobey. There would be nothing in me worthy of choosing for salvation, for the work that God's called me to. Nothing. Um, and if God had not done the work, then I, uh, I would certainly have no hope.
2: Wow. A- Amen. All I can do is, is agree I, uh, with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: All
0: right. So let's well, that,
1: move on to the L then. Yep. Right. Yep. yep. Limited atonement. So, with uh, total depravity, we're all sinners, unable to save ourselves. Unconditional election. God chose, before time began, that he would save uh, some. And uh, he also chose the manner in which he would save them. That is, by sending his son, Jesus Christ. So, he chose specific people that he's going to save. The L is just the outworking of that, that he sent Jesus to die for those he determined to save. And Jesus came and he laid down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This is what Jesus did. He died for his sheep. Now, I know the scriptures say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so people are going to say, see, whosoever. And yes, actually, whosoever, but who are the whosoever is the question. Hmm. Like that, you, we have to, when, when people point at that, they have to assume, what does that mean? Whosoever shall believe in him. who Who's the ones that will believe? Who are the ones that will believe? Well, we, as we've already said, uh, and we're going to get to in the next letter, that that is uh, those who God draws, those who God draws. But Jesus laid down his life and he died and he accomplished Salvation for his people. He didn't die and make a way so that there might be salvation. No, on the cross, Jesus bore the very sins of his people. And also the that atoned for the sins of his people. It didn't make salvation possible. It actually provided salvation. It is salvation. Jesus died to save his people. And his death does not lose any single one of them. Uh, uh, it's limited in that it, the atonement is limited to only those who are saved. Mm. Right? Jesus didn't die for those who aren't going to be saved. He didn't atone for their sins, because if he atoned for someone's sins, and then, then, then they go to hell, what does that say about his atonement?
0: It wasn't worth it was much. It was lacking.
1: It was incomplete. He, there was something lacking in the work of Christ something lacking in the work of Christ which means then what whatever was lacking had to be filled up by somebody who me gets us right back to that question about we we're made for God's glory and we don't add anything to God so it's not that God looked down a quarter of time and saw that and it's not that Jesus's action was lacking and I have to add to it it's that Jesus accomplished my salvation on the cross now, that gets applied in real time in my life, that the work of Jesus gets applied to me in real time. And that gets us to the next letter. So I'm trying to yeah, transition well, yes, <laughs> go, go for it. Which is irresistible grace. And and I will admit, I don't always like the names of these, mm. these things. What you need to know is that the five points of Calvinism that are often called that, uh, Calvin didn't call them the five points of Calvinism. <laughs> Those were actually a response to the Arminians, Arminius, the, uh, uh, um, the Christians, the, the Calvinists responded to their five points. So we have five points because they had five points that we had to respond to because they were they were twisting, uh, I would say twisting the truth. And so we had to come back with the truth. And then TULIP itself doesn't come to like the 1800s. So yeah. uh um, well, and also names... cor-
2: correct us if we're wrong too uh, John calvin wasn't even there to write this stuff it was it was people that he was around but w- was he dead by
1: then when oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. jacob Arminius came after him and then the, they they the uh uh the uh canons of dort uh, mm-hmm. uh that didn't that didn't happen till later yeah uh, um so and then Westminster is you know 100 200 years later so uh, um, but I would say all this is in his writing, which he all got from the Bible, which a lot of it is in the writings of others that came before him, Augustine and others. But anyways, I'm getting off the point. <laughs> but the point being is the name Irresistible Grace, it tricks people up. Ah, But I have resisted, and I know people that have resisted the gospel, and and people hear the gospel call, and they resist all the time. How can it be irresistible? Well, another term for this is the effectual call. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we see this in Romans uh, 8 that God, uh, in fact, uh, I like this. I actually have this pulled up. As God has appointed the elect unto glory, so he hath by the eternal and most free purpose of his will foreordained all the means thereunto. Wherefore, they who are elected, being fallen in Adam, are redeemed by Christ, and are effectually called unto faith in Christ by his Spirit, working in due season. They are justified, adopted, sanctified, and kept by his power through faith the salvation. Uh, uh, neither are any other redeemed by Christ, effectually called, justified, adopted, sanctified, and saved, but the elect only. So, by irresistible grace, we mean it is a call of the Lord on those he will save they may resist for a while they'll put up a fight because their will does not want to be saved but what happens is the grace of the lord comes in the holy spirit comes in and just as the holy spirit hovered over the deeps of the waters and brought from that the the, the creation in the beginning of in the in the beginning of the bible The Holy Spirit hovers over our hearts, in a sense, and brings a recreation. That dead heart is made alive. It's brought alive. We call it regeneration. It means regenesis, a recreation of my dead heart is now brought alive by the call of God, which comes through the different means that God uses, the preaching of the gospel, the sacraments, prayers, and and all the things that God uses, that the Holy Spirit comes and He works in a sinner's heart. And makes them alive, and now they who didn't want to want to, they freely choose God. Not that they are robots or anything like that. That's ridiculous. But that the Holy Spirit has now changed their heart, so they who had what nothing wanted to do with God now want something to do with God. And I, and not only is this completely biblical, it's the experience of every Christian. Hmm. Now you may have been a Christian from like I, I believe that like babies can be saved okay so um, it could be that you don't have a whole lot of recollection of it but for many people they do. they remember the times in their life when they were running from God they hated hated him and God worked He kind of knocked them off their high horse just like the Apostle Paul right Remember that yeah. Apostle Paul was going to, to kill people. he was going to kill Christians. He wasn't seeking God. No mm-hmm. one seeks after God. God came and God knocked him off his horse. And 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 who are we to say, oh no, that wasn't effectual word? Paul had to add to that. No, that was God working immediately at an immediate means of Paul's life. Now, he doesn't always work in that like high of a manner or knocking you off a horse, but he does often change our hearts so that and, and it may be a slow, gradual change. It's like, man, now I'm starting to understand the word of God. I'm starting to like things that like I didn't like. I used to not like going to church, now I like it. What the heck is going on with me? <laughs> I've had somebody that I, I know I got to say that that's what they were saying. It's like I used to like to look at pornography and now I don't like it and I don't understand how that changed. Hmm. Because well, I know how it changed. God did that. He didn't <laughs> yeah. do that. I uh, like you remember when Barack Obama said you didn't build that? That's right. Like if you if you love if if you love God, even if just a little bit, know this. You didn't build that. You didn't do that. Mm. The Holy Spirit did that. And um that's why when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and says you must be born again, and then he says the Holy Spirit does what? It's like the wind. Mm. It goes where it will. You can't see it does it. what it, it does what it wants, man. And um that means our salvation is totally a gift from the Lord that he gets all the glory because he made us for that. And I I, I don't get any of it. I didn't add anything to it. Even the faith that I have, which is a response, because God calls and I respond with faith, that faith was a gift from God. Mm -hmm. And here's the amazing thing about all of this. This is not meant to puff any of us up. It's actually meant to humble us. But it's also meant, again, to give God glory because Ephesians 2, let me... Um, let me just read this to us, Ephesians 2. This, this is probably, in my opinion, this passage here, I just love it. And, I, and this part gets me every time. So, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of his, of this world, according to the prince of the power there, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this is the verse, man, this verse gets me so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Man, this is amazing. I was dead. I hated God. God, I, I, I did all kinds of wickedness, and God came into my life and changed my heart. He brought me low, man, when, for me. He gave me panic attacks and other things, and he brought me low, and then he saved me out of that save me out of that sin, and and call me to still be a pastor after all the wickedness. And that's not the end of it. Hmm. That's not the end of it, man, because in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. All that he's done now is just a foretaste so that in the future, he's going to pour lavishing riches of grace upon us. And I can't even imagine. Oh, man that can you imagine like yeah. think of your sins and then think all that god has done for you now and the purpose of everything that god's done for you now is so that in the future he can show you a whole bunch more of his graces and riches like <laughs> right like what?
0: yeah yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It, it, it doesn't make sense it, it doesn't compute i, I <laughs> it
1: does not it, compute it, yeah. man but yeah. again then because of that then the next verse, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, mm. not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one may boast. It gets back to that. Why did God make us for his glory? Why does God choose some for his glory? Why does God not choose others for his glory? You get the Romans 9, and everybody wants to know, okay, this is not fair. Mm. Mm-hmm. This isn't fair. You're absolutely right, it's not fair. I deserve hell. Mm. If we got what was fair, what we think is fair, actually, we would get nothing but judgment. And so it's not fair that any of us get saved. We all deserve hell. But it's absolutely would be fair if we all got judgment. And so if God sends people to hell, that's absolutely fair. But then the question you might have then is okay. But if God chose that, and He chose to make them, why did He do that? Isn't that cruel? What do you, well, I I don't think that that challenge can actually be answered by the Armenian those who would say, well, it's it's you know they, they it's their decision, they're the ones that make the ultimate decision about that. They still have the same dilemma. The same dilemma is that. Somehow God looked down the quarter of time, saw that they were going to make that decision. He knew that they were going to not choose him, and he still chose to create them anyways,
0: and didn't intervene. Right? He yep. didn't. Yep. He didn't intervene to, to stop them. So yeah, yeah you're, so, you're exa- I never thought of that either. That 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 way of there's still a problem there on that side. That I never.
1: Yeah, like that, well, that, so that was cool. <laughs> the problem is still there for them, right? Yeah, like why? Did it, why did God still create them? And then... The only ones that can escape that problem are what we call open theists who deny that God knows the future, which is total heresy. Yeah. But uh, God knows the future. I mean, you can't read the Bible without even that. Well, that's what does Scripture say then? Why did God create them? Well, for, it says, what are you going to say? You will you, say to me, why does he still find fault? For he, who resists his will? And then he says, on the contrary, who are you, old man, who answers back to God? god does things you're not god you can't even be in the, we can't even begin to fathom uh uh the creation you remember when job and all the things mm-hmm. and god was like were you there when i created mm-hmm. this i was just so, a friend of mine uh sent me this article about these galaxies that they're fighting galaxies with the new the new uh telescope and places oh, they yeah. never thought and it's just like the universe and it's like and i mean just think Were I, were you there Were you there, Arminian, or were you there, in this case, the guy that's finding fault with God when he created the universe? Were you there when he did that? Who are you to talk back? And then he says, the thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? And here's a question. It's a question. But what if God... Although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patient vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. So what if God is just being patient with these wicked people that he's prepared for destruction? And why did he do that? He did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for what? For glory. Mm. It's all for his glory, right? The, and, and the wicked, those who don't follow God and, and, and are reprobates, they don't get to speak to God and charge God, well, you made me this way, and and so nobody gets to do that, and yet God is in control, and he has made them. They do what they want to do, and they deserve it justly, just as we all do. And it's for his glory that he made them. Right? He gets to demonstrate his wrath. He gets to demonstrate his justice. And he gets to demonstrate his mercy. He gets to demonstrate his mercy to us. He gets to demonstrate his patience to sinners. All these things. And it's for his glory. And still, I know that that answer, it doesn't satisfy every curiosity. Mm. And... But this is what Scripture says. But who am I? Who am I to speak back to the God that saved me out of sin and say, no, 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 God, I know better. Actually, I contributed to that a little bit with my uh, my faith. I was the one that chose you. Hmm. No, I don't get to say that. That's, that's proud. So... Um, I'm going to be, that's the
0: boasting that, that Paul mentions in multiple letters that no man can boast. That's exactly what that is. It's like, I did that.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, you see here, then, you know, God's mercy and grace upon you and, and you've seen how then his patience has been with the wicked and it's actually a great encouragement then to think about this, uh, we look around and we see a lot of wicked people doing a lot of wicked things, and they seem to have, I think at times, the upper hand. One of my favorite psalms, a uh, psalm writer says, when I saw this, my foot almost slipped. Like I almost fell into, I almost like fell into the ditch because wicked seem to sprout up. They get fat. They do whatever they want. And God says in there, I mean, and he say, it comes to that God made the wicked for the day of destruction. Hmm. They sprout up for just a little while. Uh, but God is in control. He's in his holy temple.
0: Yeah. And, well, and, <laughs> and their reward is here. Like this is the closest they'll get to heaven. This is the closest they'll get to that reward. So their reward is on earth. And, yeah. And our reward's gonna be significantly better,
1: I, I am sure of. Yeah. Now let, let me answer a question or ask you a question and you can help me answer it or whatever. Okay, everything I've said then sounds like well, how then we are probably not robots. What 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 if here's a question always people might arise like well what if I want to saved be saved and God hasn't chosen me? I mean what do you, what, what would you
0: say to <laughs> my, that? My my initial thought is if you want to be saved, well, you've answered your own question there. You, yeah, you yeah. already have that desire, therefore I th- I think I think we're on the right path. I think we're going down the right road there.
1: Yeah, the uh uh we we're not actually supposed to get into this there, there are things that god has revealed the bible says the things that god reveals for us the hidden things are for god so we can't go beyond what scripture says on these things and start speculating and getting all this stuff and i again uh, i want to read to the westminster um it says the doctrine of this high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care that men attending the will of god revealed in his word and yielding obedience thereunto may from the certainty of their effectual vocation be assured of their eternal election. So shall this doctrine of matter of praise, reverence and admiration of God and of humility, diligence and abundant consolation to all that sincerely obey the gospel. What's the saying is that these are truths in scripture. We can't abandon them. I don't want to abandon them uh, because without them I'm hopeless, mm. but, they gotta be handled with care. They're not for our morbid curiosity. They're certainly not meant to puff us up. And they're not meant for us to try to pry into the hidden will of God. The hidden will of God is who he's elected. We don't know. We 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 can know for I think assurance of our own salvation, but we can't know other people and try to think, well, that person's elect that person. And we're not supposed to supposed to pry into it and try to figure all that out. The scriptures actually tell us what to do, right? Repent and believe. Hmm. The gospel's to be preached, and you're to repent and believe. So when we talk about predestination and God's ordaining, we're not only talking about that he ordains certain people, he also ordains the ways for them to be saved. He ordains the means as well as the ends. And that and the means are the ordinary, the ordinary means of salvation, the preaching of the gospel. Repent and believe. And when you repent and when you believe, there's the human responsibility. It's not God. We're not robots. There's human responsibility there. But that we know that uh, that God was the one that worked in that. I kind of think of it this way. I can get into my car, turn the key on, put the key in the ignition, turn it on, and take off and drive down the road. And in my mind, oh, that key turned it on, and that's what did it, and we're driving down the road. But then I can open up the hood, and I can look in and see all the moving parts, and there's that, and this, this. And I find out that, well, it wasn't really that key so much, was it? <laughs> it was, there was other things going on. And, uh, um, but I don't need to know all the stuff under the hood to drive the car. That helps, especially if you, if you're, you get a breakdown or something like that. And that's, these truths then uh, are never meant to be a discouragement for somebody to say, well, am I truly elect and, you're supposed to be praying and 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 thinking into that. No. You're supposed to believe in Jesus. Mm. You're supposed to have faith in him. And that faith's a gift. And if you've got faith, then you know it was a gift from God. Right? If you want to be saved, you will be saved. You got the promises of God. Jesus said, All that the Father, uh uh, what's the, all that the Father uh um, gives me gives me will come, come to me. me and I will by no means cast away, right? So if you're seeking, that means God has given you, he's bringing you, mm. and and Jesus won't cast you away. Uh, the, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in perfect harmony together, what the Father does, what the Father elects. That's why limited atonement, there's people that say, I'm just a four-point Calvinist, and and and, and, and really what that does is it... Uh, it puts Jesus against God, the Father, God, Hmm. the Son against God, the Father, and against the Holy Spirit. But God, the Father predestined that He sent His Son. His Son will die for those who God sent Him for, and the Holy Spirit will work and apply that salvation to the people that Jesus died for. They are in perfect harmony because there's one God, not three gods. Hmm. Well, I don't know if I've answered every one of your questions. I may have brought up more questions than I've actually answered. Well, let's,
0: can we very, I know, I know we're out of time, but can you, can we very quickly touch on perseverance of the saints? What that means again, very briefly again, because I know we're, we're running low on time and then I had a quick little idea and I'll get to that in a second, but go ahead. All right. Perseverance of
1: the saints is, is this that those who God has chosen before time began, those who Jesus died for, and atone for their sins, those who the Holy Spirit is effectually called into salvation. Their hearts have been changed. They have been justified. It means to be declared righteous, not because of their faith. Uh, faith is the instrument by which we receive justification, but it's not the foundation. It's not like God looked at your faith and said, well, look how good your faith is. I'm going to call that righteous. It's the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus righteousness. I'm declared righteous because of that that's justification, then if I'm justified, I will be sanctified. Sanctified means I've been declared righteous. Now God's going to make me into that. He's going to mold me and shape me and conform me into the image of God. And that's roller coaster adventure in our life. That's the living out of obedience. And then those he sanctifies, he will glorify. And that is he will uh, change us the twinkling of an eye, either at death or in his return, and we will experience uh, sinlessness for real. like we you know when Adam and Eve were created, they were sinless, but they could sin. After they sinned, they were sinful, but they could not not sin. Mm-hmm. They could only sin. After salvation, we're still sin, we can still sin, but we are declared sinless. Uh, uh, we're actually able to now please God. We can not sin. And in in heaven, we will be able to not sin and we won't want to sin. We won't be able to sin because our our hearts and our will will be so changed. We won't want to sin, which, again, I think answers a question about that uh, uh, election. Because if in heaven we can be transformed so that we won't want to sin, then can't God do similar stuff here? But anyways, Mm. the perseverance simply means that those whom God has saved, he will keep. Now, they may fall into sin at different times. They may be struggles. They may backslide. They may um, spend a lot of times in the gutter. They may make a whole wreck of their life. Actually, I was going to talk about this Sunday in my sermon. Uh, uh, They may make a whole wreck of their life, and yet God will keep his people and persevere them to the end. They will persevere all the way to the end with him. Now, there are people who I think make a false profession of faith. And they are part of the what we might call the covenant community. They're part of the church. Maybe they've been baptized. They but they don't really know the Lord. They may fall away. They'll apostatize and turn away from the truth and don't persevere. And so they're not saved. Uh, and, and And that's evidence that they never were. They mm-hmm. never were. Because God will complete the work that he starts. Salvation from beginning to end is a work of God. It is a work of him. And so uh, the work he starts, he won't he's not going to give up halfway through. God doesn't get tired.
2: Amen. Thank the Lord for that. <laughs> because <Absolutely. laughs> I am a mess. <laughs> <laughs> well uh, it, so a uh, question for you as well. Perseverance of the saints, I am more inclined to like the, the verbiage of preservance of the, the saints because perseverance leads to the thought of, well, we're persevering because of something we're doing, versus pres- pre- preserving, God is preserving the saints throughout time. I don't know, what's your thought on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's, so here's the thing, people always want to, I would say, straw man Calvinism, or, or reform theology, or biblical theology, and that we're robots, or it eliminates man's responsibility. So as I said, it's all from God, and yet our sanctification, not our justification, sanctification includes good works. Right? We are made for good works. So we participate in that. We have human responsibility in that, um, but not as if we're adding to our salvation, but God is working in us. To, he's given us faith that we believe, and now he's working in us to do good works. So we do, we must persevere. So we must persevere, and yet, It is exactly what you're saying. It's not two different things. He is preserving his people. He's the one that enables us to persevere. Again, even in sanctification, which we're doing good works, those are good works that he did what? Prepared beforehand Hmm. for us to walk in. And so he's the one walking with us, the Holy Spirit. That's why we get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us and calls us and walks with us we can try to resist it and we do in this life but uh uh, we often walk in the flesh stupidly Mm -hmm. but god will preserve his people yep so yep
0: well um i think that was very informative very very succinct again we wanted to bring someone on smarter than us to uh, to, elo- to eloquently. Don't, don't say that <laughs> <laughs> Well, and we could keep
2: going. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Uh, the, and again, yeah, so this is this is an introduction. Uh, this is not a, a deep dive into Reformed theology. This is just to, to broaden this people's This is the horizons. kiddie pool,
1: man. You're just getting your feet in the we kiddie pool, We are getting
2: the toe into the water. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Well, we uh, we really do thank you for doing this. Um, it means a lot to us that you would take the time out of your day to, to talk to us, and hopefully we'll do this again. I, I, my kind of idea is to present the other side with another individual uh, on here and, and present his side biblically, and and then maybe we all come together for a discussion and, and we can ask some of those questions that, uh, you know, well, did Eve have a choice and, you know, why, you know, we, we some things we did hit on today and just some other questions that are kind of common with this and just kind of have a conversation there um, if hopefully everyone would be willing and able to, to do so. And if not, that's okay, too, because this has been very, very enlightening and, and pretty, pretty productive. So, yeah. uh pastor Spurgeon thank you so much we, we really do appreciate it you're welcome um, my pleasure it really does mean a lot to us and and again uh, for those who didn't listen last week uh, tell us where we can find you on 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 podcasts and and church and such
1: yeah so I have the patriarchy podcast you can find that anywhere that you can get a podcast I guess about anywhere you know the big <laughs> the big uh, spots and then um but if you're in southern Indiana man you need a church like uh man the church is so vital today you you uh, one of the early christians said you can't have god as father if you don't have the church's mother so you got to get a good church sovereign king church go to sovereign king uh, you can check us out and then come visit us if you don't like me you could at least be friends with austin Luke. <laughs>
2: there, you, there go. you go i'll be there
0: <laughs>
1: all right well thank you guys so much for listening we really do
0: appreciate it we will see you guys next week same time same channel in the meantime stay, stay rooted, rooted.